So the question today is, do you have peace? Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace of God? See, most of us are kind of afflicted with the if-only disease. You know, if only I had uh, more money, if only I had a better job, if only I had a different boss, if only I had a spouse, if only I had a different spouse, if only I had kids, if only my kids would get out of the house because they're adults already. You know, we're afflicted with the if only disease. And if only all of those things are true, then I would have peace. Do you have the peace of God? Do you have peace with God? Would the people who know you best say that you are at peace? You know, the, the, the best time to tell whether or not you have God's peace is, is not when things are going your way. It's when things are not going your way. I asked Marianne, I said, how do you know, my wife Marianne, how do you know when you have the peace of God? And she thought about it. She says, well, I guess it's when things aren't going well and my soul is still at rest. See, that's when you know you have the peace of God. As we continue our series in the names of God, today we're exploring this name, Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is our peace. You know, we pray this... Uh, our Father, uh, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Is the way you're living your life showing that God is really Jehovah Jireh to you, that he really is your provider? Is the way you're living your life showing that God is really Jehovah Rapha to you, that he really is your healer? Is the way you're living your life showing that God is your Jehovah Shalom? that he really is your peace? Is his name being hallowed in your life? You see, when we know and we experience the names of God, we're going to not run from him. We're, we're going to run to him. Now, this word shalom, Jehovah shalom, uh, it, it's a word that we translate most often in the Bible, peace, but it means more than that. It's a word that means wholeness, it means soundness, it means rest, completeness, well-being. I mean, it is a big word, it is a broad word, and this is what God is offering to us. I mean, when we live in a constant state of spiritual shalom, then that means that we're mature in our relationship to Christ. So Jesus Christ came to give us this new life, and it's a life that we trust God so much that we more and more live with shalom in our lives. So it's possible for you to have this sense of wellness, completeness, wholeness, soundness in your life. It's possible for you to have more shalom than you have. So I'd like for you to open your Bibles today to Judges chapter 6. This is where we're going to meet this word, Jehovah Shalom, this name of God. Open your Bibles, your apps, whatever, to Judges chapter 6. And we're going to read a story about a man that gained God's peace. His name's Gideon. And he lived at a time when God's people were not at peace. So we got this Old Testament book of Judges. And the people are like going through these cycles. You know, obey God and be blessed. Then they would forget God and rebel against Him and be disciplined and oppressed. Then they would turn to God and be delivered and uh, be blessed again. So this cycle continued over and over and over. And so in this story, the people are in the rebel and be disciplined and oppressed stage. So in ancient Israel at this time, God's people are being oppressed by a nomadic desert tribe called the Midianites. 
And they had a new secret weapon. They would travel long distances on these raids to pillage and plunder. And their secret weapon was the camel. They used camels to get places fast. It made them a speedy, long-range fighting force. So the Midianites would wait until the Jewish people had harvest time. They would ride in Israel, and they would steal their herds and their crops and their fruit. And, and God's people at the, in those days, they were too weak to fight back, too afraid to fight back. So the Midianites just basically came and took what they wanted. Now, as we read through this story, I'm setting the stage... We're going to meet this character called the angel of the Lord. Now, most scholars would say that this is a Christophany. Uh, that comes from two words, Christ and Phano. And, and it means, um, Christ, of course, means Christ. And Phano means to appear. So, so the idea here is that this is an appearance of Christ in human form in the Old Testament. You're going to see this angel of the Lord uh, say things like, I send you and I will be with you, uh, things that God says. And then later in the story, you're going to see him supernaturally disappear. So this is not some kind of a created angel. This is the second person of the Trinity. This is, this is God the Son, the Lord of the angels. And in the Old Testament, uh, sometimes he takes on human appearance. It's kind of a prelude as to what's to come. Uh, the incarnation where Christ takes on human flesh on that very first Christmas. So let's look at what it has to say. Let's start with Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now, here's Gideon. <laughs> He, he's he's um, harvesting wheat, and usually you go to a high place where the wind can blow, and when you thresh the wheat, uh, the, the wheat kernels drop to the ground, and the chaff blows away, but he's not doing it there. He, he's in a wine press, which is kind of a confined place where the wind doesn't blow because he's hiding He's hiding from this marauding band of pillagers and plunderers, the Midianites. Uh, verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now think about it. He's hiding out, right? O mighty man of valor? Really? Really? I mean, this dude is hiding. He is scared. Verse 13, And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then... Why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. I mean, stop there. Gideon goes, who, me? I mean, I'm, I'm a nobody. I mean, I cannot be what you're looking for. I mean, how can I possibly do what you're asking? My family's weak, and I'm the weakest in my family. And you know what? If you ever thought like that when God asked you to do something, that is actually a great place to be. Because when we're weak... Oh, that's when God can be strong in us. That's when God, God can be strong through us. 
And I love that the Lord knows that right here, right now, when he's having all these doubts and all these questions, Gideon doesn't really need a, a kick in the seat of the pants as much as he needs an arm around the shoulder. Look at verse 16. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. <laughs> now, now, the Lord not only sees Gideon for who he is, which is weak and afraid, but he also sees Gideon for who he can be, and that is strong and courageous. And don't you just love it that God often loves to do big things through little people? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And he says, all those thousands and thousands of oppressors from Midian will be like one man, will be like they just had one neck, and you're going to cut it off. <laughs> Verse 17, and he said to him, if I now have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went to his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth, that's a big tree, and presented them. And you got to think, Gideon had some kind of a sense here that this messenger is more than a mere man. Because he says, I'm going to bring out my present, this food. And, and it seems that he's making an offering here. Of the, the, the Hebrew word is minha, and it's a word that's often used in the Bible to describe a free will sacrifice. Verse 20, and the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. And then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And now Gideon is understanding this messenger is more than a man. Verse 23, But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. And then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. You know, when God says, I'm going to give you peace, and when he recognizes who this God is, you know, God is saying, I'm not just going to give you peace, I'm going to be your peace. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. He's the author of peace. He is the giver of peace. He is the source of peace. He himself is peace. I want you to see something here. Gideon is not going to get peace because he is chilling on some vacation spot on the beach. In verse 25, we see that his first assignment is to tear down the local pagan worship shrine. And this is not a quick little hit. It's not, oh, I'm just going to tip over one little idol. He had to use ten of his own servants to tear down the high place because he knew it would upset his father because it was his father's shrine. It would upset his family. It would upset his neighbors. I mean, you know what he's doing? He is standing up against the culture. He is standing up against his own family. He's not just going along to get along. He is entering into conflict because Jehovah Shalom... The Lord is peace has asked him to. 
And later, he leads a few hundred Israeli soldiers. question for you today. Do you have peace? Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace of God? I think most of us are afflicted with the uh, if onlys. You know, if only I could get the guy. If only I could get the girl. If only I could get a different guy. If only I could get a different girl. Uh, if only we could have kids. If only my kids would uh, get out of the house already because they're adults. I mean, you know, if only I had a better job, if only I had a better boss, if only I had more money, if only I had a bigger house. We have this if only thing going on. If, I had, if only I had all of that, then I would have peace with the people who know you best say, she's got peace. He's got peace. You know, I asked my wife, Marianne, I said, uh, when do you know that you're experiencing God's peace? You know, you got that supernatural peace of God. And she thought about it a minute. She said, you know, I guess it's when things are not going well and you still have a sense of, of rest inside. I mean, that's when you know it's God's peace and not just like the if only kind of peace. We're in our series here on the names of God. And today we're going to be focused on Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is our peace. You know, I woke up this morning and I, you know, was going through the Lord's Prayer and it suddenly hit me. Uh, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, how we live our lives really makes a big difference on whether the Lord's name is being hallowed or not. Is the way you're living your life hallowing the Lord's name as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer? Is the way you're living your life hallowing the Lord's name as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider, is the way you're living your life, hallowing the Lord's name, showing off the Lord's name as Jehovah Shalom, that he is my peace. This word shalom, most of the time in the Bible it is translated peace, but it's a bigger word than that. It's hard to translate, really. Uh, sometimes it can be translated completeness or wholeness or soundness or wellness or rest. I mean, it's a huge word. Do those words describe your life and your heart? Because you see, shalom is what God's offering us. Shalom is the test of whether or not we have spiritual maturity. Jesus came to give us new life, and that is a life that trusts God so much that we live more and more with increasing shalom in our lives. So to help us deal with this today, I want you to open your Bibles to Judges chapter 6, and we'll see where this name of God comes from. Jehovah Shalom. So open your Bibles, open your apps. Judges chapter 6. It is possible for you to be well. It is possible for you to have more shalom than you do. Now, we're in the book of Judges, and in the book of Judges, God's people are going through all these cycles. Uh, they would obey God and be blessed. Then they would forget God and rebel, and they would be disciplined and oppressed. Then they would turn back to God, and they would be delivered. And then we begin a process of obeying God and being blessed again. Then they would forget God and rebel and be disciplined and oppressed. And it went on and on and on, over and over. So in this story right here, right now, the people are in a rebel 
an oppressed stage. In ancient Israel, God's people are being oppressed by a desert nomadic tribe called the Midianites. Uh, They had kind of a new technology, a new secret weapon for their raids, a long-distance weapon. It was called the camel. They they would use the camel to go on these long trips, and they became kind of a long-range fighting force. And what they would do is they would wait till harvest time. They would ride into Israel, and they would steal God's people's herds and flocks and fruit. And God's people were too afraid, too weak to fight back. And so basically these Midianites would come and just take what they wanted. Now, also in the story, you're going to meet uh, this uh, character called the Angel of the Lord. And most scholars say that this is a a Christophany. Uh, This is a compound word from Christos, which means Christ, and phino, which means to appear. So this is, in the Old Testament, an appearance of Christ in human form. This angel of the Lord speaks in verses uh, 14 and 16. He says, uh, I will send you. That's something God would say. I will be with you. Something God would say. Uh, So this is not some kind of a created angel. This is the second person of the Trinity. This is God the Son, the Lord of the angels. And in the Old Testament, he sometimes took on human appearance. And it's kind of a prelude for what's to come when Christ would finally and fully be incarnated on that very first Christmas. All right, with that as background, let's just dig into the text. Um, Judges chapter 6 and verse 11. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth, that's a big tree, at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now, he's, he's threshing the wheat And if you know anything about the way people used to do that, you know, they would go on a high place where the wind would blow, and then they would beat the wheat, and uh, the kernels would fall to the ground while the chaff would be blown away. That's not what he's doing here. He's not in a high place. He's in a hidden place. He's in like a a wine cellar. He's in a place where you, you, you make wine, not thresh wheat. He is hiding. Why is that? He doesn't want the Midianites to find out that he has food. Verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. (laughs) Really? I mean, he is hiding out, right? He is scared. He is not a mighty man of valor. He is weak and he is wimpy. Okay, verse 13. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And were all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, really, and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. So Gideon is going, Who, who me? <laughs> I'm a nobody. I, I, surely I don't have what you're looking for. How can I possibly do what you're asking? Because my family's weak, and guess what? I'm the weakest in my family. And you know what? This is actually a really good place for us to be. I mean, if you've ever felt like that, about what could I possibly do? It's a good place for us to be because it's when we're weak that God can be strong in us and through us and with us and for us. 
And I love here that the Lord knows in this situation, Gideon doesn't need a kick in the face or a kick in the seat of the pants. In this situation, he needs an arm around the shoulder. Verse 16, And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Now the Lord sees Gideon for who he is. He's weak and afraid, but he also sees Gideon for who he can be which is strong and courageous. And he sees you for who you are, weak and afraid. But he sees you for who you can be, strong and courageous. See, God often does big things through little people. He poses the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And he says to Gideon, you know, all those thousands and thousands of unjust oppressors from Midian will be like They had one neck, and you're going to cut it off. Verse 17, and he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went to his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. And the meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot, and he brought them to him under the terebinth, under the big tree, and presented them. Now, Gideon had some sense, I think, that that this messenger is more than just a man. Because it says here, I'm uh, I'm going to uh, bring out my present. And the word that's used here is minha, a Hebrew word that was often used to describe a free will offering that was a sacrifice, an offering to God. Verse 20, and the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on the rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. This is more than a man. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He's understanding. This is, this, this, this is an encounter with, with, with Jehovah here. But... But the Lord, Jehovah, said to him, Peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to Jehovah and called it Jehovah Shalom. There's our name of God. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Gideon's peace is not going to come because he's chilling in some vacation spot on the beach. You with me? I mean, in verse 25, later on, you see that his first assignment is to go tear down the local pagan worship shrine that his daddy had erected. It was like a family shrine. And this isn't just a little quick hits, like, oh, I'm going to push over a little idol. He had to use 10 of his own servants to tear down this high place. Because he knew, this is going to upset my father. This is going to upset my family. This is going to upset the neighbors. He is standing against the prevailing godless culture. This is a guy who's not just going to go along, get along. He's entering into conflict because Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is my peace, has asked him to do it. And then later, he gathers around him a huge army of Israelis. It gets whittled down to just a few hundred, and he takes this few hundred people and goes and fights against thousands of Midianites 
And um, you just got to read the rest of the story. Uh, Judges 7 and 8. It's just an incredible story of how God uses just a few people to defeat thousands. So, so Gideon goes, goes to battle. And in the process, he gets peace. Now, there are a lot of things that are undermining our shalom in our lives and in our world. I mean, the Midianites in many, many forms have come. And all around us, we can see injustice, and all around us, we can see oppression. The enemies of God are robbing people of hope and joy and fruit and laughter and love. It is everywhere. That guy that lives across the street from you is wounded. That person that works with you is hurting. Uh, there is a global Goliath out there in the world that bothers you and that needs to be changed, needs to be brought down. Oppression, injustice, hurting, suffering people all around us. And it is only when you hear and heed God's call to fight some injustice that you will find peace. We think, well, I'm going to have peace when everything in my life is manageable. And I'm just saying, you will not know God's supernatural peace without living on mission. You will not know God's supernatural peace without stepping into some chaos that Christ has called you into. If we want this Jehovah Shalom, maybe we should learn some lessons from Gideon's life. Let me just share a few. First, the Lord comes to us at unexpected times. Because what's happened here is God is interrupting Gideon's life. He's not expecting an encounter with God. He's just trying to harvest some wheat so he can feed his family. But the Lord shows up. Sometimes the Lord has shown up in our lives unexpectedly. And he is seeking to speak to us and call us out of comfort zones. But we go on about our business and we miss him and we ignore him. And you know what? We miss out on God's power and we miss out on God's peace. I mean, I hope one of the prayers that you have in your life is, Oh, Lord, please come and disrupt my life. Don't let me just stay like I am. Don't let me live little. Let me live large. I mean, I want the Lord to come and to disrupt me regularly. Don't you? The Lord comes to us in unexpected times. Second lesson here. The Lord calls us out of our hiding places. Because someone in this room, you're, you're Gideon, right? Got a big G on your chest. You're hiding. And you're trying to protect what little you have. And you're living for yourself. You don't see the big picture. You don't really care that much that people out there are being oppressed. You just want to protect what you have. You're looking out for you. You're looking out for your family. I mean, Gideon here, he had seen property stolen from his family and his friends. And he's just like, let me just live in peace. Let me just plow. Let me just plant. Let me just harvest my fields in peace. But God comes and calls him out of his hiding place, and God's coming to you. See, God is saying to you, there is more. There is something bigger for you to live for. 
You can find meaning and you can find purpose and you can find significance for your life, but it is going to require that you come out of your hiding. It's going to require that you engage. First, you have to engage with God and then you get your marching orders from him because he's going to send you on a mission. And you're going to fight some injustice in the world. You can be bigger than you are. And you can matter more than you do. You can have an adventure with God. And you can see God do things in you and through you and with you and for you that you never dreamed possible. And in the process of it all, you will get a peace that is, it says in Philippians 4, passes all understanding. So stop hiding. Stop dodging the conflict. Stop playing it safe. Stop looking for comfort and start embracing your mission. Start following Jesus. Start living for Christ because it's the only way you're going to get God's peace. There's a third lesson here. The Lord doesn't answer all our questions. I mean, in verse 13, Gideon asked, why has this happened? Where are God's wonderful deeds of deliverance? I mean, if the Lord is with us, then why isn't he doing something about this oppression that we're experiencing? He dropped the ball. He doesn't care. He's AWOL. And some of us are kind of like that too. We're just so jacked up inside because God isn't performing the way we think he's supposed to perform in our lives. But the Lord lovingly overlooks our questions and our excuses and our objections, and he simply calls us to obey him. He keeps calling us, keeps equipping us, keeps making promises to use us. And after it's all over and we look back, we can't believe that we ever doubted that God would come through and use us. There's another lesson here. The Lord calls us on mission to fight against injustice. Now, I've already said that, but I just want to, Hit it head on. Gideon gets peace when he is called to go on mission to stop oppression and injustice. God says to Gideon, hey, you save Israel. I am sending you. And, and he gets peace. This, the kind of peace the Bible talks about, this peace that passes all understanding, it doesn't come because we're taking these long walks on an isolated beach or we're sitting serenely overlooking some valley from a mountaintop. This peace comes when you embrace the mission that God called you to embrace. God works to bring shalom through his people. God called Gideon not away from the problem, but straight into the problem. And there will be times in your life that God will come to you and he will ask you to do something for him that is very significant. Now, will you show up? Will you pay the price? You will have to pay a price. You will have to, as Jesus said, carry a cross. You will have to deny yourself. You will have to go confront some injustice. You will have to overcome some odds. But in the process, you will develop an intimacy with God that will give you peace, an amazing peace. See, some of us don't have peace because we're too preoccupied with our peace. We're too preoccupied with our own personal myopic comforts. I love this next lesson. The, the, the Lord believes in us more than we believe in ourselves. It's significant that in this story, Gideon is not this mythic man of God a clergyman or a prophet. 
He's just a simple, humble farmer. God often calls people of humble means. He calls nobodies to do his stuff. From the poorest clan in a backwater region of Israel, oppressed by nasty neighbors, starving to death, God calls Gideon to deliver his people. And so no matter what your background is here, no matter who you are and how small you think you are and how inconsequential you think you are, when God calls a person to do his thing, great things can happen. He loves to use unlikely candidates as his leaders. I mean, God delights to use the weak and the undistinguished in prominent ways. Because see, anytime you have an encounter with God, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to see his holiness and my sinfulness. I'm going to see his greatness and my smallness. I'm going to see his power and my weakness. I'm going to see his grace and my guilt. And and we kind of want to run away, but every time we encounter God like that, he welcomes us and we are transformed and God makes the useless useful. And that means you and you. Why is that so? It's because of this next lesson. The Lord promised to be with us. God says to Gideon, I will be with you. Now, who is this? This is Elohim who says that. This is El Elyon who says that. This is Adonai who says that. This is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides who says it. It's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals who says it. I mean, this is the great I am who has said, I will be with you. So if God calls you to go do something that you don't think you can do, guess what? He's also promised, I'm going to go with you. You know, (laughs) we sometimes say, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. How many of you said it? Come on, be honest. I've said it. But as I think about it, I'm going, that's not true. Because over and over and over in the Bible, God always gives us more than we can handle. See, Gideon goes, this is beyond me. And God says, that's absolutely right, but I will be with you. He is going to ask you to do something that you can't handle. But he's going to be with you and me. And if God is for us, if God is with us, who can be against us and who can resist us? We can expect God to give us the strength to do the work that he's called us to do. And and the last thing, the Lord gives us his peace in the midst of chaos, crisis, and conflict. This is not a peace that comes from the absence of conflict and crisis and chaos. It's in the midst of it. It's not earthly comfort. It doesn't come when the insurance policy is all paid up. It doesn't come with the big bank account. It doesn't come when all is well with your health. It's not found in the absence of crisis. It's found in the presence of Christ. This peace comes when we receive and obey the commission of God. And perhaps one reason you don't have an internal peace is because God has been calling you to serve Him, but you've been resisting His call. And you have been missing the divine download of peace because you're so focused on your comfort, you're so focused on your safety, you're so focused on your affluence. 
See, shalom doesn't come from the absence of crisis. It comes from the presence of Christ. Now, we wanted you to hear from someone today who's gone on mission and, and in the midst of the mission has found God's peace. So would you welcome Kristen Hopkins with me today? Would you welcome her? I mean, we just ask you to applaud, and you're going, I don't know who she is. Who is she anyway? Would you uh, briefly explain who you are, <laughs> what God called you to do, and why he called you to do it? Would you tell us a little bit about that? Good morning, everyone. It's, it's a privilege to share with you um, my story of uh, how God has used me, an unlikely candidate, um, over the last year. Um, all started two years ago. My family, I mean, my husband, Mike, and my oldest two sons, Will and Jack, went to Sierra Leone, Africa, it's the west coast of Africa, a small country, one of the poorest in the world, um, with an organization called Let Them Laugh Out Loud. They have two aims right now. One is um, drilling wells, and the other is an orphanage of about 25 kids. And they went, they had a life-changing experience. They came home, and my husband said, we're all going next summer, June 2013, for a month. We're all going, all six of us. And I said, what? Are you sure? <laughs> but what about this? What about that? How will we? No, we're going. We went. I went very hesitantly, but we went. And I had the life-changing experience. Something inside of me when orphans have names and faces and giggles and cries, and you hold them in your arms, everything changes. And it did for me. So we came home after that fantastic month. I was home for about two weeks, and I said to my husband, I feel like I need to go back again for a month and alone. And it was him this time saying, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> and I, yes, I am sure. And, um, and. All right, so now you got four boys right. and, you know, they're like really crazy busy. Mm -hmm. So how does a busy mom like that right. just go for a month? Right. <laughs> um, you have a wonderful man and family behind you cheering you on. And I remember at one point he said to me, you know, you've been home for a lot of years. Well, I've done a lot of great adventures with the kids. It's your turn. We got this, Mom. Go for it. So it was awesome. So how was the trip a challenge to your peace? Okay. I'm not a brave person. I don't know how to say that other than I'm just not brave. And I'm not a risk taker. I like plans and schedules or an organization. And nothing in Africa is that way. Um, <laughs> and I've never been alone. I got married right out of college. Um, and so my first experience with, and I knew this going in, was in a small remote village in this very poor country with no electricity, no water, and I have to mention the rats that came to visit me in my room. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your experience of God on the trip? How did you experience him? My very first day, um, my friends and family, they all sent me notes to, to read every day that were great encouragement. One of them on the very first day that I just randomly picked was a quote by Corey Timboom that said, you cannot learn that God is all you need until God is all you have. And that was my experience of God and him providing over and over again, small things, little things, big things. I received a lot of peace knowing that he was concerned about me and what yeah. was going on. Well, I, I've been there. I know the nights can be kind of long and scary in Africa. So tell us a little bit about that. That was one of my very specific prayer requests um, because it's 12 hours of darkness with crazy sounds. You would think it would go silent at night, but for some reason it comes alive. Goats, chickens, motorcycles all hours of the night, um, dogs that want to defend their turf at 3 a.m. And I, I know I get startled and, and scared here in America at night, and um, I was just being alone. I, I was very concerned about that, knowing that those nights would be long. 
There was not one time that I woke up startled, scared, afraid. And you had a rat in your suitcase mm-hmm. one time. Ate my very limited food, yes. Ate your food. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> that's not cool. I know, I know. <laughs> I know uh, one of the verses that my mm-hmm. wife Marianne put to music uh, for our kids when they were little is a verse about peace. I will lie down and sleep in peace mm-hmm. for you alone, O oh Lord, make me dwell in safety. And I know that was a verse that meant a lot to you. Yes. You nursed a lot of kids back to <clears throat> health that were sick. Uh, what was that like? I went there thinking I would help tutor the kids. Um, They're really behind in school because of being orphans. And instead of a teacher, I was a nurse. And I do not have a strong stomach at all. Um, Very, very um, weak. I see something gross, I need to sit down before I pass out. So this little girl had something wrong with her hand. Yes, she had a staph infection, a bad one in her hand that we had to have Lance twice. So I had to hold her down twice as she's uh, kicking and screaming. You could see the tears on her face. Um, it's just she was not real happy with me then. But I mean, to watch her hand get lanced twice and hold her and just pray for her, pray that I don't pass out. Um, so, yeah, a nurse is not something that's in my comfort zone, but I was so glad I was able to. Yeah, and nurse so God's home. peace was available for you during Absolutely. that time. So, Miracle that I didn't pass yeah, out. <laughs> so, on the trip, you, you started to get sick. Yes. Uh, how did God give you peace in that situation? Right. One day, I had about a 20 minute walk from my home to the children's home. and and one day I started having some stomach issues and knew I needed to head home where I could have a toilet. And, um, and I, it, was, it was the heat of the day, and that's a long walk. And, and I, so I just started praying. It's hard to explain to you, but there was one vehicle in town with one driver, and he just happened to be coming down the road and said, Hey, you need a lift? Oh, yes, 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 I need a lift. Thank you so much. So that was no coincidence that he was there for me. Yeah. Okay, so... One month away from your family, that had to be kind of like crazy for a mom that cares so passionately about her family. How was that? It was really, really hard, and I missed them like crazy. Um, but a couple things. The body of Christ, loving and supporting um, my family, people that made meals and checked in on them and asked how they could help. Um, and just their encouragement, again, of just saying, we got this, Mom, you can do it. My 13-year-old son, Luke, when I was leaving, he said, I'm, I'm sad that you're leaving, Mom, but... Um, uh, I, I'm being selfish. I know that I'm so glad that my friends get to have a mom for a month. And so just knowing that they were, their sacrifices, they were on mission with me too, that just made all the difference in supporting me. Okay, so you went into chaos and crisis, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you still experienced God's peace. Bottom Absolutely. line, what did you learn about God's it's peace? It's that Corey Ten Boom quote. You cannot know that God is all you need until, you cannot learn that God is all you need until God is all you have. And, and when I understood that, I, I did. I had that peace that it talks about in Philippians 4 that transcends all understanding. And, um, and, I, and I knew that everybody at home was okay because I knew that he was giving me peace here. I knew he was giving them the same peace at home. Okay, so we've got a lot of people in the room who are probably thinking, could I go do something like that? If I can, you can. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I'm a little afraid. Uh, would you just pray for us that we will um, take that step into the chaos maybe that God's calling us into. Dear Father, you are our Jehovah Shalom. You do give us rest and you do give us peace. You are our peace, Father. And Lord, I just pray for us as a congregation and um, a body that we would be praying dangerous prayers, that we could be world changers, that we could be Gideons, that we could be saying, yes, Lord, here I am. Use me how you see me. 
Lord, thank you um, for the privilege it is to be on mission for you and to serve you. I pray that we could all live new. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Kristen. How about that? Is that good? Wow. So I have to follow that up by asking, what is God calling you to do? What's your mission? What injustice are you going to confront? I mean, what is it that just bugs you about the world? What, what is it that makes you just pound the table and go, that has to change? Or what is it that brings a tear to your eye? And you go, that, 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 that needs to change. You know, I was looking at Josh Stone's notes because he's teaching tonight. And he, he says this, that's what God is calling you into, not away from. That thing that bugs you, that is what God is calling you into, not away from. It may not be an orphanage in Africa. It might be something like uh, the open table. I'm so excited because... Uh, Grace Church, Middleburg Heights, Bay Prez out in Bay, and Trinity Lutheran Church, and CVC. We are doing kind of a pilot project called the Open Table, where we're going to identify each church, uh, a person in poverty, and then we're going to surround that person with uh, 10 or 12 people who are going to bring intellectual, relational, financial, emotional capital, and try to help that person, not give them a fish, but to teach them how to fish, and get them where they can make it in our economy. If you want to find out more about that, there's a fact sheet out there in the foyer. Or, or maybe you're saying, I just need to volunteer for so, like there's big brothers and big sisters, or there's the city mission. I mean, there's all kinds of great things for you to volunteer for. And there's a book out in the foyer. It's called Missional Living. And inside are just 50 different organizations that you could call and say, how could I be involved? Because I want to be on mission. Or maybe you want to go on a mission trip. We've got uh, cards out there that tell you about the different mission trips we're going to be involved. But what is God calling you to do? If you don't obey God, you will miss God's peace. As Josh says, the peace of God is often disruptive. Kristen, pray for us. She said, help us to pray dangerous. Disruptive prayers. I mean, do you want to go to heaven and stand before God someday and say, oh, look, Lord, look at that cottage on the beach that I was able to get and look at my seashell collection. I mean, do you want to go before God and say, look, Lord, at my cabin in the mountains where I learned the art of fly fishing. Or do you want to say, look, Lord, at the battles that I fought with you and for you. Look at the wrongs that I tried to make right. Look at the oppressed people that I helped. Look at how I try to advance your kingdom and grow your church. I love the verse in Isaiah 48, 18. Oh, God says, that you would pay attention to my commandments. Then your peace would be like the peace of a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. The only way you get this peace is from an obedient, engaged heart. So I hope we will pray this dangerous prayer. Lord Jesus, show me what you want me to do, and I will do it. 
because I want your peace. I mean, would you pray that this week? Pretty simple, right? Lord, show me what you want me to do, and I'll do it because I want your peace. Today you might be here, and you might be kind of unsettled in your mind and uneasy in your heart and unstable in your soul, and you know who you are. Don't, just don't rest till you have his peace. And you know where you're going to find it? it? It's at God's own altar. It, it, the peace comes really first from God's place of sacrifice, which is the cross. Maybe your shalom has been stripped because you failed God in some way. And you've made some kind of a decision that you now regret. Or you've done something deeply that hurt the heart of God or hurt some other people. Your sin is between you and God's shalom. And it is not well with your soul. Well, you know where you get peace? You get it in Christ. Because He was pierced for our transgressions. And He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace that brought us shalom because it's by his wounds that we are healed. So your healing ultimately comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ, the one who took our punishment. He was pierced on the cross and he was crushed and he was punished so that we could be forgiven and we could have peace with God and the peace of God. So what's your response today? You know, in your program, there's a response section. And maybe for some of you, it's just, I need to enter into a relationship with Christ, who's the Prince of Peace. And there's a prayer that you can pray. It's in your program. It's on the screen. Dear God, I've been focused on blessing myself rather than blessing others. So please cleanse me of my selfishness. And I confess to you all my sin. And I thank you that Christ died on the cross to forgive me. He rose again to give me a new life. Please save me and change me and help me to live for you and for others. Maybe that's the prayer you need to pray today. And if you pray that prayer and you come to a relationship with Christ, check the box because we would love to help you grow in your new life in Christ. Others of us here, we just need to take some time to encounter Christ in order to find out his mission for our lives. And we're going to pray that prayer. Dear Lord, tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it because I want your peace. And others of us just need to claim Christ's peace along with a renewed resolve to enter into the chaos and conflict and crisis of the, the calling of God. Lord, I thank you that you've given us a chance today to spend time with you, time in your word, and time to be challenged. Lord, we, we don't want to just protect our comforts. We want to enter into your calling. And in the process, Lord... We want a relationship with you that gives us a peace that passes all understanding in Christ Jesus.